share my sermon, I just... You ever have one of those days where something feels a little off? You all see that ghost back there too, right? (laughs) Okay. Just wanted to make sure I wasn't developing a sixth sense. Sorry, spoilers. In the name of God, Creator, Redeemer, and Giver of life. Amen. Uh, this week I was thinking about that um, throughout my time in ministry, the question that I am probably asked uh, the most is, uh, Josh, how do, you, uh, how do you prepare for your sermons? It comes up quite a bit. And imagine Judith has heard this too. Imagine this is a question that many priests uh, are, are asked because this is something that we do so frequently. And just a week or so ago, I was up at Comanche Lookout with a group from this church, and someone asked me on, on the hike, what is, what is your method, what is your process? And I began to share with them how I prepare. Step one, and I'm not going to go through the whole process, I'm just going to share the first step with you, is step one, uh, on the Sunday prior to me preaching, the thing that I do before I go to bed that night is as I lay down, I open up uh, my electronic book of prayer on my phone, and I read the passages for the next week. Sorry, I'm going to trip over this. And as I'm falling asleep that night, I like to have the rest of the week to meditate on those passages. I take Sunday afternoon off, but then I read these passages before I go to bed. And so I need to confess to you that this is what I did last Sunday. Laura and I were just getting into bed, and I think she had probably fallen asleep, and I was laying there for a little bit, and I began to read the passages for this coming Sunday. And as I read through the Hebrew Bible and the epistle and the psalm, as I got to the gospel, I read about two lines in, and I saw the name Zacchaeus, and I thought, oh, I know that story. And I closed the phone, closed the phone. I turned the phone off. And I sat it next to my bed and I went to sleep without reading the passage in its entirety. I'm sure there's a name for this phenomenon. This phenomenon that leads us to believe that just because we have heard a story or watched a movie or met a person that we have a total understanding of what or who it is about. I even researched this this week and I couldn't find a name for it. I was hoping to have a very fancy name to tell you because I think that this is something that we probably all do. And we're particularly at risk for the scripture. Because if you've been in church for any amount of time, you've probably heard this passage before in a staff meeting this week. I I told our staff that this text, this gospel text has gotten what I call the Sunday school treatment. It has been reduced down into a children's story, and I think that we've lost a lot of meaning out of it because we've turned it into a cute song. In fact, last Sunday, as I fell asleep, I found myself singing, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he, perhaps. I should have Cindy play this during communion today. (laughs) So we are especially at risk with this, with the Scripture. Because if we have grown up in church, or perhaps we went to a school where we had, you know, a private school or something like that, or maybe we grew up in Sunday school, maybe we've done this in personal devotions, but there are certain stories that we've heard so many times that we think, okay, I've got it. There's nothing more to learn. What's interesting is I don't think that we know as much about this passage as we actually believe. So let's rehearse it real quick. 
What actually happens in this story? Jesus is arriving and this man, Zacchaeus, decides that he wants to see Jesus and only there is a problem. The crowd is blocking him from seeing Jesus. And so he climbs up a tree to get a better view. And once he sees Jesus and Jesus sees him, Jesus makes a beeline for him. And Jesus comes to him and does one of the most awkward things possible. He invites himself over for lunch. And Zacchaeus responds with hospitality and generosity, not only welcoming Jesus to his home, but also saying that he will give half of his possessions to the poor, and if he's defrauded anyone, he will pay them back four times. And the people in the crowd kind of bicker to themselves and complain that Jesus is spending his time with sinners and tax collectors. And I think that many of us have heard this passage so many times that we believe that to be a true statement rather than just the opinion of the crowd. We hear Zacchaeus' words as a confession rather than perhaps just a statement. Why did these people think that just because he was rich or a tax collector that he was a sinner? Had they actually seen him commit a sin? Had they seen him defraud anyone or rob from anyone? Probably not. But tax collectors were Jewish people that worked for the Roman government, and in some sense there was a sense of betrayal. And so these people put their own opinion on Zacchaeus, and we too as readers do the same thing. But there's a lot that we don't know about this passage. The first thing is, and perhaps we know this at this moment in history better than almost anyone else, but pronouns can be confusing. We can struggle with pronouns. When the passage says that he was short in stature, who is the passage actually talking about? Is it talking about Zacchaeus? Or perhaps is it actually talking about Jesus? The truth is is that we don't know. The pronoun is he, and it can refer to either of the male characters in this story. We make an assumption because maybe you, like me, grew up in a household where there was a picture of Jesus on the wall, and Jesus was a perfect specimen that looked more like a Swedish model than a man from the Middle East in the first century. We like to think that Jesus had no shortcomings, even his physical appearance. And yet there's not a single other story in the canon of Scripture that gives us any indication of how tall Jesus was, or how much he weighed, or how strong he was. Right? These physical things are things that we, our imagination, we put on top of the story. So who is short here? Perhaps both of them. We only know that the crowd was blocking Zacchaeus' view. Something else interesting about this passage is how the crowd in these stories in the gospel are kind of a character unto themselves. In the story of blind Bartimaeus, the crowd is actually the one who alerts Bartimaeus of the arrival and presence of Jesus. And in this story, unlike that story, The crowd is the one stopping Zacchaeus from being able to see Jesus. I wonder if you noticed that. Another question I have about the story is, is it a historical account or is it a parable? We tend to believe that only Jesus told parables. And yet the people who read or who wrote the Gospels and the followers of Jesus certainly would have learned this method of teaching. 
And if it sounds like a historical account to you, let me throw something out. The name Zacchaeus is of Greek origin. And the name Zacchaeus means pure and innocent. His name means the exact opposite of the perception of the crowd. I wonder if the first people who read this story would have known the meaning of his name and would have heard the perception of the crowd and then heard his name and realized that maybe something was not lining up. I wonder if you knew that as you read this passage. And I wonder how it affected your reading of this passage if you knew what his name actually meant. So is Zacchaeus a sinner? Has he defrauded anyone? Has he stolen from anyone? The truth is that we don't know. The passage does not tell us. We know very little except two things. The first thing that we do know is that Zacchaeus has an interaction, an encounter with Jesus Christ. And in this moment, this encounter with Jesus calls Zacchaeus to a posture of hospitality and generosity. We know that. We can see it. The passage actually says it. And we should listen to the things that the passage actually says instead of just reducing them down to children's stories. An encounter with Jesus brings about a disposition of hospitality and generosity. And the second thing that we know, because the passage actually says it, is that Jesus looks at the response of Zacchaeus, and Jesus says, this is what salvation looks like. The truth is, is that there is value. There's value to taking a second look. There is so much in life that we look at and we go, I already know what that person is about. You're going to see that more than you've ever seen it in your entire life over the next few weeks as we venture, or really next week as we venture towards the midterms. You are going to see a person wearing a particular shirt or a particular hat or having a particular sign, and you are going to assume that you know everything that that person is about, and the truth is, is you don't. That person is not only a complex human being, but they are a child of God. And we need to stop assuming that we know everything about the person who is next to us simply because of a statement that they make or a shirt that they wear or whatever their physical appearance is. And my prayer, my prayer for us, for me, for you, is that our response will be the same as Zacchaeus. That when we have a personal encounter with Jesus, and I pray that you have one today, an ongoing one that you have each and every time that you encounter these people of this church who are the body of Christ, who do show the love of Jesus Christ, that that encounter will inspire in you a spirit and disposition of generosity and hospitality, not only to Jesus, but to every single person you meet. Amen.